We're going to open our Bibles now, and we're continuing through uh, the book of Mark, and today we're in chapter 9, verse 30 to 50. I'm going to invite Roscoe up, and Roscoe's going to read those verses for us this morning. Uh, they're not going to be on the overhead. We've got a new computer. Uh, it doesn't talk, it doesn't have the Bible in it yet, or something like that. So you'll have to grab your own Bible uh, and follow along from there. Thanks. Mark 9:30-50. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum, when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but welcomes the one who sent me. Teacher, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop, because he was not one of us. Do not stop him. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. And if anyone causes one of these little things, who, little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed then with two hands go to hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where there worms does not die and their fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. Thank you, Roscoe. Uh, nice work. Please keep your Bibles open. There's some tricky uh, words in there. There's some hard things for us to work out. We're going to do that together and it'll be good if you can see what we're doing, uh, see what we're looking at uh, and follow along with us in that. Uh, if you happen to be in Jerusalem one Easter, it's probably a bit of a slim chance, but, but if you happen to be there at Easter you'll find uh, something a bit remarkable, a bit bizarre. You'll find people, uh, groups of people, pilgrims, walking what's called the Via Dolorosa. 
Uh, that means the sorrowful way. And it is said to be the path through Jerusalem that Jesus walked on the way to the cross. Uh, pilgrims will flock to Jerusalem. They'll uh, gather and they'll walk that path together. And along the way, um, various scenes will be reenacted, some of them from the Bible, some of them made up or legendary kind of things. But you can literally walk in what's said to be his footsteps and follow that path all the way out of Jerusalem to the cross. And you can, uh, in some way, I guess, experience just a little bit of what he did on that day. Uh, of course, if that's a bit tame for you, you can always take it a bit further. Uh, you could go to the Philippines in Easter instead. Uh, and, you know, in the Philippines, they don't walk the path to the cross. They actually crucify themselves. Uh, they literally literally do what Jesus did. Uh, they're very careful about how they do it. They do it uh, in a way not to cause permanent damage. They, they tie themselves and they nail themselves to crosses and for up to 10 minutes hang there just, just like Jesus did. Uh, there's an Easter celebration with a difference for you. Uh, in fact, um, I read this this week. One of them, uh, Reuben Anahe, has been crucified 33 times. Can you believe that? 33 times he's had that done. He's had these four-inch nails driven through his hands and he has hung there for up to 10 minutes. And not alone, uh, up to 17 people have joined him, all lined up on these crosses, doing, as they say, exactly what Jesus did. Now, is that what Jesus meant when he said, come and follow me? Is that what Jesus had in mind? Come and follow me, either walk my steps or, or walk uh, even to your own cross? Do we really literally need to go to Jerusalem? Do we literally need to be crucified? Well, I think you understand the answer is no, because I don't know that any one of you has done that, and I would recommend you didn't. But actually what Jesus asks us in this passage is even harder is even more radical and costly. Because what Jesus says here is not something that you would do once uh, a year or once in a lifetime. What Jesus is saying here is, every day, every day, come after me and follow me. If you want to get where Jesus is going, you need to follow in the path that he's walking. If you long for him, if you want to know with him and be in his kingdom, you need to walk where he's walked. You need to follow. Last week we talked about belief. We looked at what belief is and how it can be very small because it's in a very big saviour. Well, what Jesus explains today is how that belief actually works, what it looks like in a day-to-day -day life. That's what we're going to open up this morning now, once again, Jesus uh, has his eyes firmly fixed on what's to come. Uh, he's on the road to Jerusalem. He knows what's coming in Jerusalem. And he is talking to his disciples again to try and help them understand what that's going to be. We see that in verse 30 to 32. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Uh, Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and were afraid to ask him about it. Uh, not only are the disciples 
not understanding still, but they're actually just at this point too scared to really ask Jesus what he's actually talking about because, I don't know, maybe they don't actually want the answer. Maybe they're, they're in denial about what that's going to be. <laughs> Remember, their, their track record in the last couple of weeks isn't real crash hot. Uh, they're probably afraid. But whilst they haven't been asking Jesus, they have been talking amongst themselves. And Jesus knows it. Look at verse 33 to 34. When they came to Capernaum, uh, uh, sorry, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. <laughs> Can you imagine that discussion? How awkward that moment is. You know, Jesus has been saying, uh, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. It's going to be really awful. Uh, and the disciples have been arguing about who's best. <laughs> There's a bit of a difference going on here, isn't there? Well, who is best? Who is greatest amongst the disciples? Well, Jesus actually engages. He tells them straight out. Verse 35. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Who is first in Jesus' kingdom? Who is in the place of prestige? Well, it's the one who puts himself last. The greatest in Jesus' kingdom is the one who is willing to be the servant of all. The one who makes himself least. Uh, and Jesus takes this child um, from, the, from the house and, and puts them in the, the center of this group as a symbol of that, <clears throat> excuse me, as a picture of that. Um, you know, we, we prize children today. Children are a, a huge part of our life and church and society. But back then, things were a bit different. Children weren't viewed in that same way. Um, children had no standing in society. They were, they were seen as utterly dependent. And they were seen as kind of no one until they came of age. And so what Jesus is saying is, be the sort of person that welcomes someone like that. That, that welcomes, that shows hospitality and care and concern for someone who's really a nobody. Why? Because they can't show it back. They're the, they're the lowest of the low. They're the weakest, the outcast. In serving those is real greatness seen. He's saying don't look for the, the, the powerful, don't look for the affluent or the influential. Don't use them as a ladder for you to climb on your own way to greatness, but serve the weak. And it comes with a remarkable promise. Because do you see what Jesus says there? When you serve someone like that, when you put yourself lower and less than, you serve not only them, but through them you serve Jesus himself. And even more of that, through Jesus you serve God the Father. It's an incredible thing, isn't it? Your, your humble service to the lowest of the low actually reaches all the way to the very highest heights of heaven. But the disciples hit yet another snag. We see it in verse 38. 
Teacher said, John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Jesus has talked about service, and, but the disciples have another problem, and now it's a turf war. <laughs> you know, this guy, would you believe Jesus, he's using your name, and he's not even one of us. I mean, how dare he? Now, whether the disciples were more concerned about Jesus' name, or whether they were actually just concerned that this bloke, whoever he was, was doing what they couldn't do in the last chapter, we're not told what was the issue for them. But either way, Jesus speaks to them and he corrects them quite bluntly. Look at verse 39. Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. Now the disciples were probably expecting Jesus to say, well done guys, good work. You know, that guy's trying to you know, crowd in on our franchise without paying any of his dues. But actually, Jesus says, no, my kingdom's far better than that. My kingdom's far bigger and richer. He says, if someone really believes in my name and can act in my name, then they're for me. I mean, what do you, what do you think? Can some imposter somehow access Jesus' power, you know, just by pretending? Now, again, the, the disciples, I mean, they were ultimately concerned for themselves, weren't they? You know, you can see their fear. This, this guy's cutting out grass. You know, what's, what's going to happen next? Maybe he'll become part of Jesus' inner circle. Maybe I'll be bumped out of that inner circle. Jesus says, stop thinking about yourself. Stop thinking about yourself. That's not how my kingdom works. That's not how following me goes. Jesus' kingdom... It, Jesus' way is, is not a way of self-advancement, of self-promotion. Jesus' kingdom is the way of humility. Jesus' kingdom is the way of humility. It's not very often you can say this, but uh, last Saturday night on the, the footy field up at the Gabba, we actually saw a glimpse of humility. You don't see it in footy very often, so it's kind of noteworthy. Um, if you're watching, if you're aware, you, you know that the Tigers won the grand final again, like big whoop, it was you know, three and four years, who cares? Same, same. Um, but it was a bit of a special night. It was a special night because Gary Ablett was finishing his career. You know, one of the greatest players of the modern era, if not the greatest. Game 358, an amazing ac uh, accomplishment. And just sadly, he didn't get that fairy tale, and he didn't get to go off with a grand final win. But something quite nice did happen. You know, the, there's the celebrations after the game and the Tigers all get their premiership medals and they start doing their, their parading and chatting and, and all that sort of stuff. But all of a sudden they, they stopped. They stopped all their celebrations and they went to the side of the field and with the Geelong team opposite them, they gave a guard of honour off the field to Gary Ablett. Like, that's a huge thing. They didn't have to stop their celebrations, but they did because they respected him. But they actually went further, and it was, it was spotted a couple of days later by someone who took a photo of it. Each of the players actually took off their premiership medal when they gave him that guard of honour. They, they took it off so that when Gary looks back at those photos, when he went off the field at that time, you know, it wasn't being rubbed in his face by every single Tiger lined up there that he'd lost. That in his last game, his special game, he'd actually not made it. So it's pretty impressive, isn't it? It's pretty noteworthy. There was no 
reason that the Tigers had to do that. They, they could have kept them on. No one would have made uh, any, any fuss about that. But rather than insisting on what they could have had, what was their right to have, they willingly gave it up to put themselves out of the way of Gary and his moment. And in a sense, that's what Jesus is calling his followers to. To not claiming what we could have, to not fighting for what we might have, but letting go for the sake of others and showing humility. If you are looking to Jesus as a path to self-fulfillment or to self-advancement, then you are looking in the wrong place. The way up in his kingdom is down. The way to greatness in his kingdom is to become a servant of all. I mean, after all, look at Jesus. As Katie pointed out, Jesus was God's perfect son. You know, he's fully divine, holy and pure and, and powerful. You know, if anyone deserved praise and glory, it's Jesus. I mean, he quite easily could have come to earth in, in all his glory and demanded that we worship him, and we should. It would have been fully his right to do that. But he didn't. Instead, he came and served. In humility, he willingly gave even his life for the lowliest, for the sinner, the outcast, the reject, for you and for me. And he did that so that we could be lifted up and live. It is life for all who believe in him. And it's the way of life for all who would follow him. Now let's not, let's not pretend that's easy, because it's not. I mean, Australian culture is, is pretty vicious like this. We, we love to cut down our tall poppies. We, we love to, to slash them down so that we can look a bit better in comparison to them. I mean, we get a thrill, don't we? You know, we get a thrill at work when, you know, the boss's pet gets told off or gets taken off a project and someone else gets a chance. You know, we get a thrill when the class nerd stuffs up and, and loses the teacher's favour so someone else can get it. <laughs> we even get a thrill when our sibling gets told off. You know, they get in trouble. That's a chance for me to, you know, get in with mum and dad and, and get ahead. That, that's how we, we're used to working. And Jesus says, no. We don't rejoice in, in the fall of others. We don't rejoice in, in their hardships. But it, we don't look for all those chances to, to, to get ourselves further ahead in life. He says, follow me the way up is down. Instead, lift others up. Don't tear them down. Don't glory when they're torn down. Lift them up. It's hard for us. It is pushing against the culture that we live in. It's, it's going the other way. That pattern of criticizing, it's so ingrained in us, it's, it's going to be difficult to root it out. But that's the better calling that we have. Don't cut others down, but build them up. Instead of looking for mistakes and looking for chances to criticize, look for ways to praise and appreciate and, and upbuild. Don't just look for those who will be able to respond or who might appreciate it and in turn do you a favor in the future, but look for anyone. We're not about those who will help us get ahead. We don't prioritize the powerful or the influential or the affluent. We serve everyone with the gospel. 
anyone with the gospel. I, mean, I think we can all confess that we've fallen into that trap before, haven't we? You know, we think, you know, wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it just be incredible if you know so and so became a Christian? You know, they, they've just they know so many people. They've got so much influence or so much say in society. Imagine what they could do. <laughs> we think that, do don't we? But actually, when we look at the Bible, what does God do? God works through the weak. God works through the ordinary. God works through the people that people wouldn't choose and does amazing things. Wouldn't it be a tragedy to imagine about so-and-so and ignore the opportunities that are actually all around us to reach ordinary people with the gospel? That's what Jesus has called us to do. Glory is promised to Jesus' followers. But just not now, not yet. Jesus is not your way to get ahead in this life. He's not your way to win praise. He is better. He is life. He is life eternal. Follow him and one day you will hear the very best praise, the very best glory of all. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now that is worth looking forwards to. But we don't just have to think hard about how we look at others. We have to think hard about how we look at our own lives as well. I want to read this last section again. Um, and what I want you to do is, as I read uh, verse 42 to 48, I want you just to listen. Listen to the parallels that Jesus draws between the if and the better. So keep your eye out for those words, if and better, from verse 42. And if... Anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. Uh, some of you might know that, that Sunday school song that we, we used to learn. You know, um, uh, Oh, be careful, little eye, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. You know, you, you might have heard that one. Uh, Jesus' version is considerably more radical than that, isn't it? Oh, be careful, little eye, what you see, or I'll pluck you out. <laughs> I'll cut you off. It's pretty macabre, isn't it? <laughs> like, that is, that's a pretty hard passage. I mean, is Jesus suggesting that, that self-mutilation is the way to be a good follower? Uh, if so, then we're going to have a really bloody time in the car park after church. But I think you understand that's not what Jesus is suggesting, is it? We'd all be eyeless and limbless. It would be, be kind of bizarre. Jesus is not quite saying that. What he's actually saying is just a bit more radical, in fact. This word for sin uh, that you, you see in these um, verses is usually translated stumble. And I think that's quite important. It kind of defines what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying is, don't trip up anyone else and don't let anything else trip you up on your walk with him to his kingdom. 
don't let stuff get in the way and don't get in the way of other people as well. Now let's be clear, I, I want to make this very crystal clear for all of you. What Jesus is talking about here is not whether you can or cannot lose your salvation. That, that's not what he's, he's talking about. It's just simply not what's in view here. What Jesus is talking about here is about how important and how precious and wonderful his kingdom is. He's, he's using the negative example. He's saying, you know, it's better to lose anything in this life because the kingdom is so good. The kingdom, in fact, is so good, it's better that nothing risk that or nothing jeopardize your journey to that. There is nothing that is worth getting in the way of it. Why, do, why does Jesus use such graphic pictures? Because he wants us to take this seriously. I mean, he knows us. He knows what we're like. He, he, he knows the, the things that we do and the things that we think. He's saying this matters. This kingdom is so important. The, the, the road to the kingdom is hard enough as it is. Don't put more obstacles in your way. Deal with them. Even if you have to do it the most severe way of all. It's hard. <laughs> but Jesus has done it first. See, before he came, our road to his kingdom was full of obstacles. In fact, it was so full of obstacles, it was actually impassable. We couldn't get through. And what's more, they were obstacles we'd put there. Our sin, our rebellion, our rejection of God, those things had littered that road to his kingdom so much that no one could get through. We couldn't walk it anymore. We were stuck. His kingdom was there, but the road was blocked, and we couldn't make it. until he went before us because he walked that road and in walking that road he dealt with everything that was there he he cut it all away everything that we put inside he plowed through by taking it on himself and he cleared that road once and for all his death opened it for us his resurrection finished it so you could reach that beautiful goal the kingdom of God so because of him that path is cleared for you the way is open for all who simply believe that's what he has done for your life and that is the life that he calls you to don't fill that path back up, he's saying. Don't put more stuff in there to trip you up on the way. Keep it open as I've opened it for you. Keep walking it well. Don't let anything get in the way. Cut it off. Get rid of it. Uh, a couple of months ago, I was, I was a bit tired late at night and watching TV as you do when you're tired and should be in bed. Uh, and it was the Tour de France. I, I never watched the Tour de France. It's so long. It's so boring. But for some reason I was watching it, and as I was watching it, it was kind of, I noticed something. I don't know if you notice, as they ride, look at how the riders ride. You know, they're wearing the smallest little bits of lycra. Their, their shoes are carbon. You know, they don't have a drink bottle on their frame because drink bottles weigh something. If they want a drink, their car comes up to them, they grab a drink out the window, they have a drink and they put it back. If they're hungry, they grab a bar out of the window, they eat it, they put it back. You know, they do not take a single gram that they don't need. 
you look at their bikes and it is just this mess of carbon. They weigh nothing. You know, a strong breeze will send them all flying off the side of the mountain. Why? Because they're trying to win the race, aren't they? That race is an enormous burden. It's incredibly difficult. I think we rode 50 k's yesterday. It almost killed me. They do hundreds every day for a month. Like, what? These guys, there's something wrong with them. But they don't take a single gram that they don't. They don't have to. Everything is weighed and shaved and cut off to the, the barest minimum. Because that road is hard. You know, you don't see Richie Port thinking, oh, it's going to be a bit of a snowy day today. I might just chuck my puffy jacket on. <laughs> That would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? I'm actually a bit hungry today. Um, I might chuck a steak sandwich in my backpack. It's a bit thirsty. I'll put a beer on either end of my hand. It would be, it would be nuts, wouldn't it? You know, he might enjoy it, but it's not going to help him win the race. It's going to weigh him down. It's going to drag him down. He won't even be able to keep up with a peloton. He'll be miles back, struggling away by himself. You strip back everything to maximize your chance of finishing and winning that race. And that's what Jesus says here. Cut it out. If you don't need it, cut it off. If it's getting in your way, get rid of it. Why risk eternity in Jesus' kingdom for anything that might trip you up? What could possibly be worth it? Is it hard? Yes. That's why we're told there in verse 49, everyone will be salted with fire. That's, that's a really weird picture. Um, but essentially what it's saying is, these hardships, these sacrifices, God knows them. God receives them. And they test us, they refine us, and they grow us so we can walk that path better. They're good for us. So ask yourself, what is it in my life that's getting in my way? What is it that is hindering my walk with Jesus? Now, usually the first port of call that we, we think of is, well, the sins that we wrestle with. And, and that is absolutely correct. We should be concerned about those things. They, they will trip us up. But do you notice that what Jesus names is not necessarily bad things? Like, your hand is not a bad thing. It's, it's just a thing. They're good things. Not bad in themselves. But things that can cause us to trip. So what might it be in your life? Something good that's causing you to trip. Maybe for you it's work. Maybe a, a work-life balance. You know, work is a good thing. God gives us that as a gift. And yet when that balances out, it can trip us up. It can get in the way and be an obstacle to that walk with Jesus. Now obviously cutting off work is perhaps not the solution. Maybe in radical cases it could be. We should actually be open to that fact. But maybe you need to consider how you would cut something else off. What sort of limit or rule you will set so that that is not an obstacle for you. Maybe you cut off working after 6 o'clock. Maybe you cut off accepting certain roles or promotions that will have a greater cost. I think a huge one for us is our affluence. You know, God has given so much to us. We can be so thankful. But can't our things be a distraction? Can't they get in our way and, and cloud our thinking? Maybe we can cut them off by being generous. You know, rather than clinging to and hoarding our money, but actually just giving it away. Maybe we can cut it off by no, you know, not seeking to penny pinch. 
or seeking to, to, to grab the best opportunity or obsessing over where to invest our money to get the better return later in life. Maybe that's the way we can cut off that obstacle. I don't know what yours are. There's, there's so many. You know, patterns of consuming, you know, binging on TV or on gaming or even binging on reading, uh, binging on sports. There's so much. What sort of things are tripping you up? What might you need to do to put them in their place, to cut them off? Now, let's be honest, we hear this, and I remember hearing sermons like this, and we get apprehensive, don't we? You think, but I like those things, or that's going to be really costly, that's going to hurt, that's going to be hard. Well, just consider with me for a moment the flip side. What if someone was cutting off in your life the things that were helping you on that journey, that were bringing you closer to the kingdom? How would you feel then? You know, someone said, well, we're actually going to have to cancel church for the next month. There's going to be no online church, no alternatives. Would you actually just be a little bit excited? Oh, Sunday morning. What could I do on Sunday morning? I could sleep in. I could have a cooked breakfast. Or would you be really shattered because it's so important? What if someone took your Bible so you couldn't read it? <laughs> How long would it take you to notice? What if someone said you couldn't go to connect or you couldn't pray? See, there's two sides here, isn't there? Cut off that which will trip you up because eternity is not worth the risk and prize that which helps you on that journey because eternity is so worth it. Cling to what keeps you going. Because although the road is hard and although it is costly, the destination is wonderful. Remember what we started with? I will give you rest. Jesus is saving and leading us to life eternal, to a glory far beyond your imagination, to riches far beyond anything that can compare, to himself, to God our Saviour, the God of perfect love and grace and mercy. Nothing is worth hindering that walk. So walk it well. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to follow you and to be focused on your kingdom. Lord, help our lives not to be about self, but about you instead. Lord, it's hard, so we pray for your help. We pray for your spirit to teach us, to teach us to serve, to teach us to lift up others rather than ourselves. Teach us to cut off the things that trip us up and instead be single-minded for you and for your kingdom. Father, we thank you that we can even have this discussion. We thank you that Jesus has walked this path before us so that the way to your kingdom is open for us, even us. And so we ask that you would help us to follow him well, to love him, to walk with him, and to walk his way. We pray this in his name. Amen.